My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up? It's Rosillo with the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on The Ringer and Spotify. Make sure you're checking us out every Tuesday and every Thursday episodes through an NBA playoff run that is as unpredictable as maybe any that I've ever seen in covering this sport. And also the NFL draft that doesn't have the top headliners at QB, but our guest, I put it up against anybody, the best draft analyst in the business to be joining us almost every week prior to the draft and a little break from all the sports, having fun, telling stories and trying to give out some life advice to the listeners out there that feel like they need it. And by the way, just like sports, I don't always get that stuff right either, but at least it's fun to listen to. Listen and follow the Ryan Rosilla podcast on Spotify. And welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, this is a pre-major version of Fairway Rollin'. We are very excited here on Fairway Rollin', the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. And joining me this week, as is always the case, our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard. And we have a special guest because major things are happening. It's the first major tournament of the season. The Masters is less than two weeks away, my birdie buddies. And we need major talent. A first-time, long-time guest coming on, Bob Herrig currently of Sports Illustrated, longtime journalist for ESPN. So it will be a three ball, but Nate and I are going to go off as a two ball, just warm up the golf course a little bit before BH 
joins us along the way. Nate Dog, here we go. How you doing, buddy? We have to coronate Scotty Scheffler now, don't we? I will say, House, that way back years ago, when you, me, and Billy did the season preview pod, there was a kid coming off the Corn Ferry Tour who we talked about as one to watch. We get some things extraordinarily wrong here on Fairway Rolling, but we did not... <laughs> Get the call of Scotty Scheffler wrong back in the day. I think well, that was like January of 2020, if I'm recalling that correctly. Yes, you are correct. I was out in Los Angeles, California. Or no, maybe it was, yeah, it was 2020. We were Zoom. Pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am pretty stunned with what we have seen over the last 42-ish days f- from this kid. So what's amazing to me is not that he's won three times so much because this third one of the three felt like the the most natural based on what we know about him and and yeah. his strengths and what he's demonstrated Hometown. to us. Yeah. What's amazing to me is he's now won three very different types very of different. golf competitions, right? And we and, might have said coming in at a- API, the Honor Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill, we sort of felt like that was one where he just hung around the hoop and he kind of fell into the win there. You could have seen it, a lot of guys win that one. His class delivered the win. His, right. his the the class of his game. But this was just mano y mano, and pretty relentless, great golf. Yeah, at at this, you, the the two things that jumped out to me with with, with Scheffler, his comfort and his ability to make his own luck. Lots Hmm. of times he was in trouble, Mm -hmm. right? And then he did the most unlikely thing. Hole and bunker shots. Yes, exactly. When when there was peril staring him in the face, he had a very uh, um, impressive ability to just shut out that, that whatever that fear felt like and, and just execute. And, and, you know, with the most, extraordinary and unlikely of results. It's interesting comparing him to Finau, isn't it? Because Finau got the win last year and you thought maybe the floodgates are finally going to open. He's been top 10 Tony forever. Now he's finally got it in his head. Puerto Rico was a win for sure, but but it's a you know opposite field event, not a real event. He finally got the real event win. Maybe this was going to be it. And Tony's disappeared. We said the same thing about Scheffler. Hey, maybe the, and whoa, the flood, there are no gates. The gates that were protecting the flood are gone. The power of the water rushing through them is so hard. I mean, this guy is one of the best performers in majors over the last two years. And suddenly the fear, as you say, the emotion, the stuff that's between your ears that gets in the way of an otherwise extraordinarily talented golfer getting the results that he or she wants and otherwise should get, all that shit seems to have evaporated into the air. We now yeah. have a serious hoss on our hands. Well, and, and his odds to win the Masters are down to 16 to 1. Which, which is probably good for other bets that we want to make. But <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I want to lay that. No. Um, but you mentioned he's, his his performance in the majors. He has six straight 
top 20 finishes in majors. And that necessarily mm. includes a tied for, for 18th at the 2021 masters, which was competed in April. And then a tie for 19th at the 2020 masters, which was in November. Um, but the, the thing that I, I just want to give, um, top 10 Tony, a tiny bit of, you know, room for improvement in the following way. Okay. His, his win came in, in the playoffs and, yeah. you know, he, he, he got himself into Eastlake and then basically shut it down. Like we didn't see a ton of Tony through the fall. This, the, the Scheffler run has come, you know, in the ordinary cadence of the golf calendar. There was no natural rest point, no natural disruption. It seems like Tony might have lost some of that mojo that he was that he had at that moment. Um, and there's no reason he can't gain it back. He's in the field this week at the Texas Valero Open. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously in the field at the Masters. I'm not prepared to cross him off of either list. Yeah. He just beat the crap out of Xander Shoffley on Friday. Did he find something? That's all. Yeah. Well, you may be right. I hope so. We love we love top ten Tony. We'd like him to be uh, winning Tony. The Scheffler thing, though, he has been unflinchingly consistent. I mean, you think all the way back to the TPC Boston uh, playoff event where DJ came in and absolutely dominated. Remember, he was he was almost going to get to thirty under. He actually blew a fifty nine or fifty eight. He was like eleven under through eleven or something. And or 1100 through 13, and he didn't get it, the, the, the 59. Scheffler got a 59 that week. <laughs> let's let's do this little thought exercise with me. Uh, we've been talking about Kyle Morikawa, just a guy, just a guy, we, maybe. We've been talking about Victor Hovland, and those two guys have really captured our imagination as the young guns coming up that, that you know, as we've watched and marveled at their achievements at such a young age. How did we sleep on Scott? Did we sleep on Scotty Scheffler? I mean, I'm inclined to say maybe a tiny bit, but we did. Cause he wasn't winning. That's why we, we slept on him. But, but you know, to your point, best score to par in the major since 2020 Rom at 31 under Scheffler at 26 under just a guy, Morikawa at 25 under always second place. Louie at 24 under that's straight from our guy, Justin Ray. But I mean, that, that you know, February 12th, he had zero wins, 8 million in money. He was 14th in the world. It's March 20, what is it, the 8th, 29th? He got three wins, 15 million, and he's first in the world. I mean, this, did we sleep on him or did he get let loose? They just let the bulls out of the pen with the win. And, and that is the difference between the guys who go on to be great and people who are just a guy. Which is some of these people, the, the the rarefied air, they get to that next level, right? They get through the mental spider web, whatever the fuck is in the way of you and me playing good golf at our shitty abilities, all the way on up to the super pros who still they have to get through whatever is in the way. And victories are are sometimes that telltale litmus test of whether the guy is gonna be great. It's what's so fucking frustrating about Ju Justin Thomas right now. Oh, interesting. For, for me, right? Didn't make it out of his pod. Got the PGA win under his belt, turned himself into a guy who should be number one in the world, 
But there just is, and this is one of the reasons why we love him, let's be honest. The, the, because his his best buddy Jordan Spieth is more of a head case, but there is a little bit of head caseness within Justin Thomas in the way that he sometimes performs down the stretch. And we're saying this about a guy who has a players in fourteen wins. So you know that this is not. But it, why he hasn't done it in the majors? There's still that little hurdle. Scheffler now. W- w- I mean, we got to take him seriously. W- he's he's the number one player in the world. Nate, it, we're we're on the sprint to the Masters. I mean, you and I literally, like, basically yeah. a week from now, we'll be throwing some stuff in a bag to make our our little sprints down to Augusta, Georgia, and the two time, the multiple multiple time winners on tour yeah. in the 2021-2022 season are Scotty Scheffler, Cam Smith, yeah. Victor Hovland, Sam Burns, and Hideki. And all I can say is. God damn it, because I feel like you have to allocate a teeny tiny amount of your portfolio to all those names. Mm. Maybe not Burns, because Burns hasn't played the Masters before. But, you know, uh, uh, shame on on us if there isn't a tiny bit of exposure to these names coming into Augusta. I mean, you have to have Cam Smith. How are you going to have Cam Smith yeah. out? Um, you, you just have to make the decision is this guy going to cool off or is he hell unleashed at this point? I I mean, that that's exactly right. Well, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of names that we haven't talked about that we're going to talk about in this week leading up. Um, We're going to get on some Rory who's in the field this week Mm -hmm. at the Valero Texas open, which is Mm -hmm. very sexy. We're going to talk about Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka. How about a little Kepka sighting? Yeah. He's, he's sending some signals to us, Nate dog. DJ, how about a DJ sighting? Mm-hmm. He's sending some signals to us, Nate Dog. Mm-hmm. But look, we—I mentioned at the top—we have a very special guest this week, Bob Herrig from uh, Sports Illustrated. He's got a brand new book coming out. He's coming on to join us. Let's let's welcome in and to talk about Tiger Woods and and maybe a little bit of Phil Mickelson as well. well while we're at it. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to 
fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. All right, my Eagle enthusiasts, as promised, we have a longtime journalist from ESPN, the Tampa Bay Times. He's currently pushing out really illuminating stuff on Sports Illustrated, their morning read. He has a brand new book out. This is a guy who has covered Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods their entire careers, dozens of sit-down, one-on-one interviews with those two guys. Both of those guys are kind of relevant, I think, to this upcoming major tournament. Bob Herrig, welcome to Fairway Rolling. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on here. I always tell everybody I started doing this when I was 12, when you start talking about that, uh, <laughs> going all the way back to the beginning of their careers. So, Well, we've admired your work from afar for a long time, so we're thrilled to have you on here. Now, I, I will tell you, Nathan and I deliberately did not talk about Phil or Tiger yes. in our run-up to, to this conversation with you at the moment. Let's do, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So let's start with Tiger because <laughs> the news of the last 24 hours, 36 hours, a lot of different sources, a lot of, we have video, we have, you know, uh, uh, behind the scenes talk. It None of seems... whom are actual journalists like Bob, though. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> but it seems like there's a sentiment out there that Tiger Woods, for sure, he we th we're confident he's going to show up because he's going to participate in the Champions Dinner. It seems like he might undergo a practice round, and then he'll make a decision about whether or not he's going to play. What is your sense of what the hell's going on with the Tiger Woods? Yeah, you know, I've I've been a skeptic about this the whole time. I mean, I just... Um, I know it was four months ago when he played the event with his son and, uh, um, didn't look good. Well, Walking. you know, his golf swing looked amazingly yes. good, Yes, but Walking. the rest, of, the rest of it, and he had a golf cart and it was 36 holes and he was gassed each day. Yeah. And so he has to, he had to progress from 36 holes, actually 54. He did play pro-am, but 54 holes, golf cart scramble to, walking 72 holes, hitting every shot, standing around for five hours. I mean, there's no sitting down, you know, maybe once in a while on a bench, you're going to sit, but they, they, they're standing the entire time. There's the practice leading up to it. I mean, 
it's just a long day on your feet and you cannot, you cannot understate what a big deal that is for him at this point with a really bad foot and ankle that let's be honest, we haven't been given all the details about, but it was bad enough that we know that, uh, you know, lots of broken bones, bad injury to the ankle, you know, flexibility, being able to just walk. So are we, are we going to assume now that he's going to take that and, and play Augusta national, one of the hilliest, most demanding walks there is look, I'm not saying no, Certainly, I, I'm not. He's done a lot of surprising things, and it appears he's trying and giving it all. Uh, but uh, I just think it's still a little bit of a long shot, um, you know. And we don't really know has he been there before. There's some rumblings about him going this week. Right. I don't think it goes into Masters week. Um, he he makes a decision before then. I can't imagine he shows up for the big circus and goes out there and plays a practice round in front of thousands of people and then says, nope, I'm not going to do it. I don't think he shows up there unless he's going to play. Bob, this is a guy who is famously, viciously, ruthlessly competitive. It's driven him his whole career, and you've obviously done a lot of documenting of that. To your point, it seems pretty unlikely that he's going to show up and win the Masters. Again, he won in 2019, all bets are off. But based on some of the injuries that we've seen, he hasn't played competitive golf. We also know that Tiger, through his, his injury, has, has got a different view on time, on his own mortality, on, on the shortness of life and of these opportunities. Is it possible that he could be going to play the Masters without a full intention to win, but because he knows he's only going to get so many chances before he's really too old to do it? Uh, and that and that he's going to go in for the first time without the mentality of I'm going to win. Is he capable of that yet? It's a great question. I hope he is because I think that's the the only way to approach this. Um, how can he uh, legitimately think that he's prepared to win? It, he, it'll have been 17 months since he played in in a in a real golf tournament. You know the the 2020 Masters. He's going up against guys who are doing this every day, every week, practicing, playing, getting, being competitive. There's competitive rust that he has to chip away at. It's hard to do it in a place like the Masters. So, I mean, I think he has to lower his expectations. And, and frankly, nobody else should have higher expectations right. than that either. I mean, right. we should cut him a break. It's unfair to put that on him, is Yeah, it? absolutely. I mean, if he gets out there and completes 36 holes and misses the cut, by the way, he's never missed the cut at the Masters as a pro. He's only missed it one time in 96, the year before he won. That was the second time he played it. You know, I mean, we have to be prepared for the fact that he might not have it all together. I mean, yeah. you're talking about some of the most difficult greens in the world, a lot, of, a lot of precision required. He could have all the shots. What if he gets really tired on the back nine each day? Yeah. You know, and, and it's very, very possible that well, that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah they're... they're I think about those two appearances in the booth with Nance at Riviera, the one that came, whatever, three days before his accident, when he was down. And if you saw him walking at Riviera, which is down the street from me, he was not walking well at all. I mean, he was already injured. His back was bothering him. You know, he was yep. doing those, those things with Wade and David Spade and he wasn't even swinging a club. He just had a putter to what we saw just a few months ago where he was bright and happy and seemed to have, you know, the massively overused word perspective 
on life, you get that sense that maybe he understands with that in the World Golf Hall of Fame that he's moving into that icon status and that he doesn't have to feel like he's competing with 23-year-olds. M- maybe I'm just being you know, romantic about it and hopeful, but you did, over the last few months of public appearances, you tell me, because you've watched him more than anybody, mm-hmm. but it do- does seem like he has mentally moved forward from that killer old tiger thing that uh th- that he sort of famously you know used to, to get all his wins you know it's funny I, I think he had moved on from it a little bit before after the back surgery hmm. you know he had a perspective back then this is three four years ago now when he came back from the spinal fusion surgery that you know I, i'm I, i'm lucky to be here um, it's it's amazing that I'm able to come back. I appreciate now this so much more. He loved the idea of playing for his kids and look at them getting to watch him. And then he got competitive, and obviously he won the Masters. But remember, after the Masters, he was never really great. No. The rest of the rest of that year yeah. until until he had his knee fixed again, and then he won the Zozo. He played great at the Presidents Cup, and then he showed up before right before the pandemic and wasn't great. You know, and so we went through, you know, the whole 2020 and he just he never really was in contention when he came back. He played with his son, Charlie, in that in that uh, uh, December event. This was not the last one, but the year before and then had another back surgery. And as you said, he did not look good in that Jim Nance interview in 2021. The big question two days before the the car crash was, are you going to be back for the Masters? And, you know, in a weird sort of way, I think there's a more likely chance he's back for this Masters than he would have been for that Masters. <laughs> I think you're right. Stunning. Because, really stunning. Because he wasn't obviously letting on, but clearly, his look, he had just had the microdisectomy, what, two months before. Right. There's kind of a three-month period there where you need, you need to give it that much time. And when he had those microdisectomies back in 2014 and 15, you know, they didn't really work for a long time. I mean, they just were kind of a Band-Aid. This one was probably higher up on the spine. We don't even know for sure. You know, we don't get these details. Uh, so I think what you saw in this later Jim Nance interview is, I don't think he has back pain right now. And it might have been in a weird, weird way. Obviously, nobody wishes this had happened. Right, but the but rest. The, but the fact that he could not swing a golf club for months mm meant that maybe the back got way better. Well, I want to continue this thread that we're talking through right now and put it in the context of your book, which is Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry. And what I'm keen to get your perspective on is, do we think there is any element of the incentive for Tiger to be reminding everyone of the, the, the role that he plays as really the, the true golf a- ambassador, because, you know, what what Phil has done effectively to himself, the self-immolation over the last you know couple of, of months. And we'll talk about in a minute, you know, the withdrawal from the Masters. But look at how Tiger has filled that that vacuum. He's the the the, the Hall of Fame induction was magnificent. He gave mm-hmm. us a version of himself that we had not really seen before and it seemed so genuine and so authentic and now he is the one that's going to show up at at augusta and he's definitely going to be at the champions dinner and it remains to be seen what other 
kinds of of you know opportunities we we, we get with Tiger at, at, right. at Augusta this year. But this was supposed to have been Mickelson's thirtieth Masters. It was supposed to have been you know his uh, the the run up to the PGA Championship for Phil. And instead, what we're talking about, who we're going to see live and in the flesh, is Tiger Woods. Yeah, it's really interesting how that all worked out. I mean, there's so, so much I could say on this subject. Um, you know, Tiger didn't figure to be an elder statesman, at least not for a while. You know, that, that never seemed something he was comfortable with. And while I don't think Phil was that comfortable with it either, because he wants to be competitive still, I think he was going to embrace it at some point. You know, I've, I've actually written this, you know, look, we're, we're 10 months removed from Phil winning the PGA championship. What a glorious accomplishment that was. I mean, incredible. He broke a 53 year old record for, for the oldest major champion. He beat back Brooks Kepka, you know, who was trying to win his fifth. I mean, Louis Oosthuizen, a, a major champion who was also playing very well was right there too. And, and Phil actually kind of won on a U.S. Open style course. The one major he wasn't able to win did it with with powers that we hadn't seen from him and he should be reveling in that for the rest of his for the rest of his life you know i mean if he never did another thing in the game that would have been it and he he had it all right there I, you would think his endorsement contracts would have been enhanced for winning a major um he could have had a big tv contract if he wanted one he could have gone out on the champions tour and cleaned up whenever he wanted and he was still going to be welcome at all these tour events for as long as he wanted to show up. He was, he's exempt in the majors. And now he's not even going to be playing the masters. And the guy who has been on the shelf and we're not quite sure of his future is sort of stepped up and, you know, the hall of fame speech, actually the way he has talked about kind of siding with the PGA tour in this whole, you know, rival league yeah. thing, you know, he's come across as the guy who who's, who's got the perspective. And that wasn't supposed to happen for a while. And, and here it is now. Why then? When you say it like that, I just hear, I mean, I hear what, uh, I hear what Denzel Washington said at the Oscars last night to Will Smith, which is when you're at your highest point, that's when the devil comes for you. But what is it inside of Phil that he needed this? And, and, and by this, I mean, you know, the pursuit of the Saudi golf thing that has so drastically and dramatically led to this public perception downfall. What is it inside him that drove him? Well, let me first say a couple things where, where he, where I feel like he actually had a point or he may have had some substance. Um, one is, is that Phil's not the only player who feels that the PGA tour hasn't been as transparent as they need to be. No doubt. These guys, there's many of them who question a lot of things that happen. They don't understand why we spend money on that. Why is money going towards that? Phil has long believed, and he's not alone. That's why I, I say that not alone, because he's the one who's taken all the heat yes. for it. Yes. But he's not alone in believing that the star players, the top star players, have not been rewarded for their worth. And the reason I believe he has a point in that is that let's remember now just on course earnings. Okay. They all make plenty of money in endorsements, but so do, so do, so does Steph Curry and a lot of NBA guys. Sure. But if Steph Curry doesn't make another free throw the rest of the year, or if he doesn't make another three pointer, he's still getting whatever his, 
what, $53 million? He gets every penny of it. If John Rahm, who led the tour in money last year on course, $7.7 million, doesn't play the rest of the year, he gets zero, nothing. And there is, there, is, there is a sense among the top guys that they bring way more to the table to have to start out every year with nothing. And I get that. You know, it, it, it makes some sense. And what these rival leagues have been talking about, it's not just the live golf one that Norman's behind, but the, the, the forerunner to that, the, the premier golf league, the PGL, they were talking about money up front, guaranteed money every week because there would be no cuts. And guys would sort of be compensated based on their worth, based on their star, star power. And a guy like Phil has long lamented that the stars have not been compensated for their worth. For example, Phil has always believed that the, the schedule should be condensed, that there shouldn't be opposite events that the tour is funding. If you're good enough to get in the regular events, you're good enough, play better. Now, of course, that's easy to say when you're one of the, the best all time and you're going to get into those events. The PJ Tour is a member organization that looks out for the 200th guy and they want to give the 200th guy a chance. But Phil has always believed, hey, why are we playing you know, 48 weeks out of the year? We should only play 30. We yeah. shouldn't have opposite events that we're funding. Just have yeah. the regular events. If, if they want to get in, play better. Yeah. And so he sort of has a point there. But where he missed it was the whole media rights thing. There's no pro athlete who has rights to his, to his media. Right. There, there would be no TV contracts of worth that would pay the salaries and purses that we're seeing. And, you know, when he talked about obnoxious greed about the tour, look, this is where he's had his platform for 30 plus years. It's the reason Workday and KPMG were paying him all that money. They knew he was going to be on national TV, X number of weekends a year competing. And oh, by the way, you know, that gave him the, the, the platform to, war- to win over $90 million in prize money. I mean, so like to criticize the PGA Tour as harshly as he did, um, you know, really, really kind of hit people the wrong way. I mean, even the ones who have issues with the tour, I don't think would have been that vicious. It seemed like he, uh, I guess my question to you, having studied the Tiger and Phil relationship is this. He understood the role that Tiger had in the game. He also seemed to understand what was possible for those star players. Is that some of what was behind them reconciling or coming closer together in in the 2010s as they started to do a little more appearances together? They did a match. Was that what drove that, that, you know, coming together? I think part of it was just um, perspective and getting a little older and not being as fierce. But to be honest, the main reason was business. Yeah. They saw an opportunity, you know, that match they had in Las Vegas, and they had another one uh, in 2020 during COVID. The COVID one with uh, Brady and Manning was meant to be just as big as the first one just between Tiger and Phil. And they were both going to profit from this handsomely. Obviously, the COVID one became one where all the money got donated. And then they never did another one. Tiger was out of it after that. It was just Phil. They did that for business purposes. Now, was there some softening? Sure, absolutely. I mean, Tiger talked about how Phil actually reached out to him to help him with his chipping in 2015. He had never disclosed that. You know, if, you know, when Tiger was really having those issues where he was, you know, he was he was chipping like us. You know, he had the he had the, the chip yips yeah. basically. To, you know, 
And Phil reached out to help him, and Tiger really appreciated that. They got very close helping on the Ryder Cup. Way back in 04, I have a whole chapter on this in the book about just how, you know, while it, it might have seemed like a good idea to put them together, they had no interest in collaborating at that time. They weren't going to help each other. They were very, very different at that time, very competitive. And they had a hard time getting on the same page, and they, they lost twice. Whereas 10, 12 years later, they're tired of the U.S. losing all the time, and they decided to kind of put their heads together. And, you know, Tiger was an assistant captain in 16. Phil was a player. He had a great Ryder Cup that year. Uh, and so they, they collaborated. They, they, they compared notes. They were, they were a force. So those things together, even into 2018, when they both played in the Ryder Cup, both played poorly, but they were both part of that. And so that that came together, uh, the softening, getting older, but the bigger part of it, I think, still was the the monetary business side of it, which obviously, you know, had the, had the, listen, Phil won $9 million, but Tiger didn't go away empty-handed. He was getting paid in some way for that. Mm-hmm. And they saw that as a little mini franchise going forward. Let let me ask you this in view of the this softening and the present circumstances. What is your handicapping of the likelihood that Tiger Woods has reached out to Phil over the last two months? I am gonna say zero. Really? I, I wow. don't I don't think he has. Wow. Um because and look, I have no in, inside info on this, but my my gut is on this situation. It's that I, frosty. I think that Tiger is probably, and his camp are probably upset that Phil went down this road. Uh, huh. If 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 he reached out, it would have only been to admonish. Tiger's wow. agent uh, Mark Steinberg is very loyal to Jay Monahan. Okay. He, he goes way back with Jay. Like way in the early 2000s, Jay was actually the tournament director of the of the event in outside right. of Boston, the Deutsche Bank. Right. Oh, right, Deutsche Bank. And and Tiger's um, Tiger's foundation was the beneficiary, and and they they got close back then. And then Jay moved up through the ranks, and and the, not one that I'm aware of of Steinberg's clients was interested in any of these rival leagues. And so my guess is there is a healthy amount of, I, I don't know, I don't want to say it too strong, but just annoyance or may dismay at the fact that Phil went down that road. And so I don't think there's a whole lot of sympathy for him right now. Uh, and uh, uh, look, I could be wrong, but my guess is, is that, you know, they have not felt the, the urge to reach out. I'm sure other players have. Um, you know, I'm of the opinion that everybody deserves to be able to recover from something. Phil had a pretty darn good track record over decades. You know, uh, you know, I know he had the issue with the, with the, uh, SEC and the Billy Walters thing, uh, which is very technical and complicated. But other than that, you know, Phil's had a pretty pristine career and he, and, and it's kind of blown up here in the last few months. And does he have a way back from that? I, I, I kind of hope so. Well, tell us he is not going to play the masters very different than, uh, than what we at least understand tigers thinking about. But, um, you know, Phil, there have been some rumors that part of the reason he's going away for so long is that there are books like yours 
that have some anecdotes that are going to pile on to some of what has already leaked out publicly, right? I mean, it, is there any inside thing that you're hearing that, that there are more shoes to drop or is he just getting counseling from his folks right now that he needs to disappear and, and take some time to repair? When are we going to see him again? But, but more acutely, you're on the inside, you hear these buzzes. Is there more to come here? I do think there is a little bit more to come. I don't yeah. know that it's so egregious. You can't overcome it. I have not seen the Shipnuck book yet, nor the one that's that the one that is potentially really damaging is the Billy Bill Walters book. book. Yeah. And, and he's got a big vendetta, you know, yeah. he's, he, you know, he went to prison and, and Phil, Phil that wouldn't testify on his behalf. Yeah. There's a lot of bitterness there. Yeah. My book is more the feel good. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> you know, Give us I mean, the good stuff, baby. I need, I need, I need a, to, I need more time for an addendum or a, you know, a, a paperback where I can write a couple more chapters because in a weird way, this fits in beautifully, but mine was about their playing. And, you know, I was trying to wrap it up, like giving you the idea. It's possible that we're done with these guys, that they might be finished. And if so, what a glorious end to both their careers. But yet I left the door open for more. Unfortunately, I did not see this part coming. <laughs> I did not see. How could you? I did not see Phil imploding like this. So mm. are there some things? My guess, though, is somebody in Phil's camp has been able to get a hold of Shipnuck's book. And while it might not be great, I can't imagine. Uh, I, you know, my understanding is it's nothing that would be so egregious that he couldn't come back from it. And so now we're looking at, all right, is Phil really need some time away? Has he got some personal issues? Does he have money issues? Um, did they ask him to stay away? This is where, look, this is where the PGA Tour, and obviously the Masters is not a tour event, but the PGA Tour does itself a, a disservice by not announcing uh, suspensions. Yeah. Because we're sitting here asking, is he suspended? Yeah. Well, they won't tell us. Yeah. And so it becomes, okay, well, if he is suspended, would the, would the Masters honor it? Uh, would the PGA Championship honor it? How long was he, if he was suspended for three months, it would take him through both. And, the, and those organizations might be apt to go along with it. In other words, they might say, well, look, if, they, if they're going to suspend him, we're not going to let him play either. But we don't know. You know? So like, and, and so if he's not, this is where it's a disservice. If he's not suspended, then these thing then him not playing is more on him, yeah. You know, and so um, and so, what's going to happen though? They want the story to go away. It's not going to go away after the Masters. We're all going to be talking about is he going to play the PGA? Will he play an event before the PGA? Doesn't he need an event to get ready? Where will that be? And it just this this will never end until he talks or he comes back. Do you have a sense? As to your own best guess, based on, you know, decades of experience with Phil Mickelson about will he reappear on tour this year, which is to say, you know, they have the crazy um, calendar. So through the tour championship 2022, the 2023 season starts in the fall or whatever. But do you do you anticipate seeing him at all through the balance of, of this year? Or do you think that the combination of other things that might be out there that would be that would reflect poorly on him plus whatever defiance it seems likely he's still feeling as it relates to the PGA tour those two factors does he take the whole year off you know i i thought he'd be back for the masters so 
uh, you know, when he, when he issued that apology and said he was stepping away, that was, uh, what at the end of February. So it's been a month or so. And I figured that that would be enough time for him to sort of regroup and try to come back. And the fact that he hasn't now really throws it wide open. I mean, I think what you suggest is possible. Maybe he doesn't play at all, Mm. but I mean, if he wants any full, any, any sort of public life again in golf, he has to address this at some point. He has to have a conversation with Jay Monahan. The problem with that apology is it said nothing about the PGA tour. Nothing at all. He, he apologized to the live golf people. And look, there's a whole nother side of that. I, I'm, I, I'm not throwing a colleague under the bus here because, because by the letter of the law, I'm thinking that what happened is, is, is okay. The way that the way that those comments were reported, but I also have been around this sort of thing long enough to know that there's no way in heck Phil expected those comments no to way. be printed. No yeah, way. Right. Nobody talks like that if they're going on the record. Yeah. He was riffing. He was venting. He was he was spewing whatever. You don't use profanity like that and expect it to be printed, even in a book. You yeah. just wouldn't do that. And so. My guess is, regardless of how this all came down and what was said before the interview or what wasn't said, and look, it's on Phil, you better damn sure make, make out that it's not on the record. He didn't think it was going to be used. He didn't think it was on the record. I mean, he said all the bad things about Saudi, you know, the stuff that's always been out there, and yep. then basically admitted, I'm willing to look past that to use it as leverage. Yeah, I mean, that killed him. You know, the KPMG has a lot of business interests in Saudi Arabia. I don't think they they dropped him because because of what he said about the tour. I think they dropped him because of what he said about Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. You know, they have people that are employed over there working in that country. They don't want one of their spokesmen talking about that regime that way. Yeah. So it is incredible complicated mess that he that he got himself into. Well, it was a surprise there. That was a big revelation. You studied this relationship between Tiger and Phil, uh, sort of retroactively having lived it and worked through it. Was there something in the course of doing the research for this book and and pulling it together that you learned that you didn't already know that was surprising, that was a big revelation to you? Well, I think there's a couple things. Um, One is that I could find no instance of Phil ever being dismissive of tiger in any way even off the record in private whatever but yeah he had the comments about the equipment all those years ago where he said you know tiger's playing with inferior equipment he hates that i'm hitting it by him that's all in the book in a, in a big way but in a weird way that was still sort of giving tiger a backhanded compliment and it was true to an extent back then tiger was not playing with a, a shaft as long on the driver as other players were he was sacrificing length back then when other guys had, had stepped up with their equipment. He wasn't using some of the newest technology. People took it to mean he was dissing Nike. Maybe he was, but he didn't say that. But I mean, a, a, apart from something like that, I could find no instance where Phil was dismissive of Tiger, where he made fun of him in private, where he you know looked down on him. It was all positive. It was all Tiger's been great for the game. Tiger's been great for me. Sure, I wish, I wonder what it might have been like without him, but I know that he made me work harder, that sort of stuff. Whereas on the other side, there was, I found, you know, some, none of it's egregious, but kind of petty little things with Tiger, you know, behind the scenes, you know, being dismissive of Phil, 
um, sort of, you know, maybe, you know, being a little bit uh, arrogant about Phil, you know, like, uh, uh, and, and, and I think a lot of ways that was Tiger just trying to prop himself up. He used that as a motivator. He, the rich was beam per- story. Exactly. The rich beam story, which I find to be amazing. Frankly, that was, that was one I did not know going into the book. Some of the things I knew and try to try to embellish, but I mean, I don't mind telling it. I mean, the context there's, there's more to it, but basically when rich beam won the 2002 PGA, and Tiger birdied the last four holes to make it interesting. And Beam needed to kind of coax in a little two-footer on the last hole to win by one. It was a bogey putt. He did a little jig on the green and celebrated and beat Tiger by one. Tiger won the first two majors that year. He was in contention at the British through two rounds, big storm, shot 81, and then comes back at the PGA and is in contention again to win a third major that year. And uh, by the way, had eight majors at that point to t- to fill zero. And in the scoring uh, area afterward, Tiger's watching this beam putt play out. And when beam holds out, he basically, you know, let exalted, like, you know, he was like excited, like, yes. And Fred Funk, who was playing with him, was in the room, was like, Tiger, what's going on? You know, he, you know, beam just won the tournament, right? You know, he, he didn't double bogey that hole. And Tiger's like, I don't care. That's, that's rich beam one, Phil Mickelson zero. And at the time, it was true. You know, Beam had a major, Phil didn't, and Tiger was sort of relishing in it. And and Phil wasn't even in the hunt, you know. And that sort of was the mindset. He 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 kind of liked keeping Phil at a distance. And a couple of years later, when Phil started to figure out, Tiger viewed him as a threat. It's really fascinating that that aspect of it. Um, I've asked you to handicap uh, a little bit of of what's going to happen. Uh, potentially with with Phil through the balance of this year. I'm going to ask you for for one more handicapping. This time, so March of 2023, the Masters will be approaching again, the 2023 Masters. Do we see Tiger Woods? Do we see Phil Mickelson? Do we see both? I think we see them both, yes. Amazing. Definitely. Um, uh, You know, Tiger has said he will play tour golf again he will have a limited schedule he my guess is is he will put all his efforts into getting ready for the majors it will be a ben hogan like schedule you know if you go i I encourage people go look at ben hogan's record after his car accident in 1949 i believe the most he played in any year was nine tournaments the year 1953 when he won the three majors i think he only played six now, I'm not sure Tiger can do it playing only six, but like eight or nine seems possible. Like you play one or two in the spring before the Masters. You know, maybe you play um, another one before the U.S. Open. You play the U.S. Open, you play the British Open. Uh, and so now you're up to, you know, that's maybe six or seven tournaments. You play your tournament in December, the, uh, the Hero Tournament. Obviously, he's going to want to be there. He would play at Riviera. his tournament in in LA uh, maybe adds one or two more before the masters, you know, maybe sort of a once a month thing through, through eight months of the year, nine months of the year, Phil, I just, you know, look, maybe it's more hoping. I just hope that we're past this by then, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody deserves to come back from a mistake. And while it was a big one, um, you know, now, listen, if Phil goes and plays in the Live Golf League, then all bets are off. 
because I'm not, I'm not sure that the majors, I don't know if they have the ability to keep them from playing, but I'm not sure that they're going to want him to. And I, these are things he really has to weigh. I mean, don't you want to play the masters and the PGA championship and the British open for the rest of your life, you know, and, and, and enjoy that. Um, is the money that important? Um, you know, which leads to other questions like, why is the money so important? You know, Phil, Phil should have plenty. You'd think even, even if he's had financial issues, he should still have plenty You would because think. he's got, he's got smart people <laughs> that he, that work for him and around him that you would think would manage you all that. Would think. So, you know, to answer your long, it's a long way to answer, but I, I, I really do think they'll both be there next year for sure. Well, it, it's a perfect capper. The book is Tiger and Phil Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Bob, when's the book come out? It actually, the uh, publication date is April 26th. It's available now on Amazon. They're pushing the pre-sales big. Um, I was just told that it's going to start trickling into bookstores here pretty soon. Like they start sending it out. Like I actually might see a copy of it myself here one of these days. It's All right. printed. If there's errors in it, they, they can't be caught now. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Something for everybody to look forward to. Major season has arrived. Bob, Nathan and I are going to be down at Augusta next week. Are we going to run into you? Absolutely. Uh, you, yes. you know how to find me. Are you going to be in the media center at all? I don't know. We're, we're working on the credentials. I mean, there are people smarter than us that are in charge of, of that stuff, but we got to find a way to have a, to share an azalea together. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That'll, you know what, you just got to get in touch with me. You know what the, you know, the big problem in Augusta, right? No phones out there. Right. Makes life really difficult in this world that we live in now. You, <laughs> I can't just be on the 10th green and go, Hey, I'm on the 10th green, you know? We're, we're going to um, look for you under the big tree. I don't there know whether or not we're, we probably won't have access to go uh, inside the ropes, ropes of the big tree, but we'll wave you over. Please do. Please do. That'd be great. Thanks, Bob Herrick, thanks so much for coming on the show today. And we're looking forward to the book and we're looking forward to seeing you at Augusta. So great, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, my par saving pals. Big, big thanks to Bob Herrick. Check out his book, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Speaking of rivalries, actually, there are no rivalries going into the Valero Texas Open down in San Antonio, Nate. All there is is Charlie Hoffman making every single cut every time he plays this thing. I am somewhat thrilled, though. We have a really quality field this week compared to previous versions of this because some guys took off the match play or didn't go get very far in the match play and they want to go play some golf before the Masters. Well. Good for them because it keeps an event going uh, that actually piques our interest. I guess I guess I just got to start. Are you on Rory or Jordan, who frankly have been two of the most disappointing really good golfers at the start of this season this week? Um, I don't know the answer to that. God damn it. <laughs> Which suggests more likely no i'm not going to be on them in terms of any allocation of capital i'm not betting on either one of those two guys my uh anticipation and suspicion with rory he wants four rounds so he will play right. hard to make the cut but i think he just wants four rounds i don't know iron sharpening either. iron yeah that's it <laughs> iron sharpening iron and jordan <laughs> like you tell me i like he would, we we caught him he was sick for a stretch and then he got over his illness but he didn't look you know amazing <laughs> at the players but the players is also not his spot 
he he's the defending champ here. That that has in in a previous iteration of Jordan Spieth meant something, right? Yes. He's defended at Jordan at the, at the uh, John Deere, and you know, uh, obviously at the Masters. Well, you know, this was the event where he really got us excited, where we really felt like, all right, Jordan's back, and and you know, where my Spieth trutherisms uh, were finally. Uh, you know, proven to be to be worth the time investment and brain hemorrhage that I'd had waiting for it to happen. But but there's been a little bit of a letdown since then. We've sort of been waiting to see Jordan round into form here. Uh, You know, we got a little bit of it, the AT&T, but not enough. So can he conjure up the visions of last year's 67, 66 on the weekend and pull it together? I, I, I mean, House, I'm looking a little further down the board, to be honest. I mean, well, I, that, that's are, the history of this place. Yeah. Looking further down the board for sure. Yeah. I mean, this course, when the wind is up, can be not that much fun. And to your point, these are guys, a, a number of whom are either they're in it because historically it hadn't been a, a, a big field or they're in it because this is their last chance to qualify for the Masters uh, or they're in it because they're trying to sharpen an, sharpen iron a little bit. And look, the, the odds board is interesting because of what we just went through in match play, but also when you overlay it against some of the winners the last couple weeks, I mean, don't forget Otterbon Lahiri, who we really loved in the players, finished fifth here last year. And he's all the way down the board at, you know, 100 to 1, sitting there with a few other interesting names like Brian Stewart, who put his face off in the Dominican Republic last week, with like Takumi Kanaya, who played very well in the match play uh, thing down in Austin that got overshadowed by some of the other big names that we saw. But he was the one who ultimately made his way out of that bracket, right? Yes, it, it it was very impressive. So, and I like the way that you're headed on this. The cut line, since they moved this tournament to the TPC San Antonio venue, mm. it's never been under par, the cut line at this. It's, it's a hard yeah. venue. It is the second hardest in terms of um, greens hit and regulation behind only Riviera. Uh, the number of fairways hit, it's it's 56%. That's... 6% below tour average. Tour average is 62%. This venue, 56%. Now, uh, some of, of the, the profile that we're looking for here, you need good scrambling and you need, it seems perhaps, and this is um, one of the thoughts of our good buddy, Pat Mayo, length, because you're going to have, uh, you know, um, ball striking and, and, and strokes gained approach, as always, the number one, attribute but if you can have a shorter iron into greens that are harder to hit that's the thesis are you and talking couple, yourself into bryson at 24 well to no 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 bryson is a stay away in fact bryson and hideki let's just cross them both off gotta stay away you just don't know anything about the health it was good to see bryson play a different style of golf a different brand of golf it was mm-hmm. good to see him not swinging out of his shoes yeah just in terms of like reminding us um what what a creative genius he is in many respects like i i was kind of blown away and intrigued watching quite a bit of of, of his round he's still very rusty though oh two and one in the match play he's, he, it was exactly what you want out of him he went out there and just he just needs 
loops, loops yeah. under his belt. Just kidding. We're going to fade him through this week. We're going to fade him at the Masters. You okay. know, I, I'm interested in seeing what the miss the cut odds will be for him. If they're, uh, you know, they're they're going to be plus money, uh, 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 not plus money. They're they're going to be, if they're anywhere close to even money, I'm going to bet them. Okay. And I'm not laying a lot of juice on it, but. Um, Iron sharpening dildo for Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> I like the. <laughs> not yes. iron sharpening iron. No, iron sharpening silicone dildo. That's correct. Um, I like the storyline of this is the last chance to make the Masters. Seven of the nine previous winners had not qualified for the Masters coming in. And so I'm looking for guys in form that um, have not yet qualified. And the names that jump out are mm. names like Chris Kirk, yeah. who has a good re- track record at this venue, um, a bunch of, of top 15s. He has a couple missed cuts, but um, the missed cuts have occurred when he hasn't been in form. We know that he's in form right now. Uh, Top five at, at at the Arnold Palmer, yeah. Seventh at Honda, fourteenth at Phoenix. So that that this this has a, the, the, those kind of vibes. Kevin Streelman, back to back top eights at this venue, and also playing some good golf. A seventh, the twenty second. He has a miscut in there, but also a sixteenth. So another guy kind of in form. And then I'm looking at Patton Kazire. You are. I am top ten at Valero. Last year, and if you use the metric of of last 24 rounds, his strokes gained in terms of his iron play has been very good. I'm the, the homie Reed Fowler, Pat Mayo's colleague, with a lot of this this good information. Those are the kinds of names that I think deserve um, some attention. Maybe some some top top 10, top 20 kind of action. I don't mind it. I think Gary Woodland's going to win this golf tournament. I like this. I like where you're going. Go ahead. T6 last year, he, at this event, he was rounding into form. I mean, T5 at the Honda, T5 at API, cut at the players with just a blow up in the second round. But everybody blew up in the second round who was in that wave. And he was fine at the Valspar. So it was weird to not see him in in Austin. That was really weird. It's just an indication of just how far he's fallen. But it's also an indication of how world ranking is not always the best indication of who is actually hot and playing well right now. So I I'm looking at Gary sitting on the board at like 34 to one. Hey, they, I mean, Keegan Hadwin, see woo are ahead of him. I mean, Corey Connors, like just getting the huge boost after last week. I, I love Gary sitting down there in the 34 to one range. Yeah, I won't do anything with Corey Connors other than maybe a top 20 play because I'm worried about him being exhausted. Um, yeah. It, it's so taxing. I don't even think he's going to be the highest finished Canadian. His, his performance at the, I mean, he has a win um, at this venue. Yeah. I actually like him using this to recharge the batteries. I wouldn't be surprised if Corey Connors misses the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he knows what kind of form that he's in and he plays the Masters really well. I, in fact, yesterday I went ahead and sprinkled a third of a unit on Corey Connors, who is available at 75 to one to win the masters. Now, do I think he's going to win the masters? No, which is why I only put a third of a unit on it, but he has a profile that fits that the, the masters winner profile. So I just wanted to put that out there. Now of the guys, there's a bunch of international guys. I'm just want to highlight for you. 
do you think that Richard Bland has a chance? We want if he had beaten DJ in their head to head down he at, at he would have been in. Uh, he, he he gave DJ a nice contest. He really did hang in there um, quite look, impressively. I, do you remember a number of years ago? And w we will look it up. But uh, when the Houston Open was the qualifier, was the last tournament before the Masters. And I believe it was Ian Poulter yeah. who, who had fallen down the rankings and had to win the damn tournament to qualify. And he did. So if we're talking about old Englishmen, maybe there's a precedent. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I no, no reason to sleep on it. Well, I will tell you, you mentioned Lahiri at the top. I'm going to put uh, a, a meaningful thing, maybe like a half unit on Lahiri to top 20. That's all I want. I want him to top 20 at, at this event uh, just out of respect. This is me paying it forward for all of the joy that he that he delivered to us. And that very handsome outfit that he wore on the Monday you love finish of, of the, the players. Lahiri outfit. I, I might show up at the Masters in it. In the same don't, way. The, don't the, be surprised. Yeah. In the same way you don't like. By the way, that Poulter win, which I would have told you was 10 years ago, was 2018. That's how much brain damage there's been over the well, last Well, I mean, a lot, three a lot has happened. A lot has happened. A lot's happened, buddy. A lot of few Good things have Lord. happened in, the, in that time period. That, that is why COVID was basically dog years. Like, one COVID year was seven real years. <laughs> there's no way. That was 14, 15, 16 years ago. Oh, my God. April 2018. Well, so well, Lahiri, we're in. Just for a top 20. I like it. respect. That, yes. That, that, that's it. He's performed uh, well here. Why not? Uh, I'm going to join you on Woodland. I'm going to play Woodland to oh, win. Thanks. I'm going to play Woodland uh, to top 20. And then all those other guys, I'm going to go ahead and, and sprinkle a little bit. Kirk, Streelman, Kazire. Anybody else? You mentioned Brian no. Stewart. Are you going to put anything on him? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Oh, I a think little he's on playing Stewart. well. Okay. A little on Stewart. Okay. But okay. here's what I'm going to tell you. We're not going to t-shirt Cannon Money on this tournament. Do you know no. why? Please. Because we're going to the Masters. <laughs> Friends. Welcome. We're going to save it all because this is going to be an incredible week. And not just because we're going to be there, but just because this is going to be one of the most fun masters in a long time with all of the storylines coming in, with all of these guys healthy and playing well, with some newcomers like Sam Burns, who hasn't even hit the course, with our guy John Rahm being kicked out of the number one seed. And you know he gives a shit. Oh, man, does he? And with the potential return of Eldrick Tiger Woods. It's too much. It's too much, Nate Dog. I don't know what to do other than save up our pennies. All of these are going to have to be quarter unit plays. I need to save all my dollars. Now, you mentioned we are going down there. We don't have the full schedule set up yet in terms of all the content that will be coming out of the ringer.com, the ringer podcast network. I can tell you for sure that Bill Simmons will have podcasts featuring the Masters. Wonder both of us. Uh, on Sunday, the Fairway Rolling podcast will be out Monday or Tuesday of next week with a preview of this. We've reached out to the homie Justin Ray. I know that he will come through. Other uh, ringer friends and family along the way, and then we'll be broadcasting semi-live from <laughs> Augusta, Georgia, many times uh, throughout the week. So lots and lots to look forward to, my birdie buddies. But until then, please... Let's all hit them straight out there.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 